It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reason. Welcome to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is the second week under the new branding. You used to hear us as Profit Launch which was so fun. And it's time for the new branding, the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And today we're talking about something that is super exciting to me. It's the link between joy and creativity, the link between joy and creativity. And so let's break this down because we've heard these things before joy and creativity, but oftentimes those two words get intermixed with a whole bunch of other words. And so what we're going to be specific on is what is joy And what is creativity? So we're going to start there, okay? And this, what we're exploring, this whole topic of joy, we're going to explore it over the next six weeks. So today it's about creativity. Next week, there's one about productivity, about the health benefits of joy, about how to create a culture of joy. Then actually the last one, I'm super, I'm super excited about all of these, but in the last, uh, the sixth week of the exploration of joy, we're actually going to study joy's effects on the brain. And I'm going to bring in a neuroscientist uh, and AKA he's my dad, but I'm going to bring him in and we're going to talk about what's actually the effects of joy on your brain. Because from a scientific perspective, there's a lot of value in actually creating joy. And the opposite of joy is this, this space of frustration or anger. And and that's where a lot of uh, depression can stem from as well. And so we're really going to go into this and all different angles about why joy is so important. And it's something that I really value. I wrote an entire book called Joy in Uncertainty, A Guide to Create a Meaningful Life. And that's available on Amazon. You can get it. But the, the crux of the book is really about it doesn't matter what's happening around you. Joy can happen in any moment because joy is something that you always have access to. So let's look at the actual definition of joy. So what is joy? Joy is not a thing. It's not something that you can do. You can't do joy. It's not like, it's not something you can buy. I'm not going to go to Target and say, Hey, I need some wipes. I need some Kleenexes. Uh, I'd like some new pens. And Oh, by the way, I'm going to grab some joy. It's over in aisle 13. That's not what joy is. Joy is a, a space of being. It's something that you be. I know I've talked about this concept before of be, do, have, but I want to really emphasize it today. So let's start there. This concept of be, do, have. So here I'm from the United States. I know a lot of our listeners are from the United States, but all over the world, we, we can utilize this concept. But here, especially in the United States, we are doobies, doobies. Okay. And so what that means is, We do, so we've mixed this from be, do, have, we've changed it to do, have, be, do, have, be. So we're do, bees. So when I do these things, when I work 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week or 90 hours or whatever that looks like for you, when I do the work, then I can have the house, the car, the, the latest electronics, the movies, the pool, the boat, the whatever, when I can have that stuff. And then I'll be joyful. I'll be happy. I'll be whatever it is that I want to be. And so we start with the do. Okay. We start with the do and it leads to a lot of us being addicted to doing addicted to doing. It means we're constantly in this spiral of doing our to-do lists are so long. I saw this video 
a few years ago and it rings true today as much as it did then. And I was talking about all the things we do. Okay. So, so I, I wrote about this in the book too. I said, in this concept of do bees, we say, oh, I'm going to work 80 hours a week so that I can have a nice house only to never be in it because I'm always at work. I want the luxury car. So I work a ton to get the luxury car that I drive to the parking lot of work where I go into my building and then I go out and drive it home. And that's the only time that I actually am in my car because I'm always at work to afford my car. Or I think I want kids and I have these kids, but then I'm working all the time to afford my kids and the things that I believe that they want or need, like expensive clothes or the latest shoes or the, the, the switch and the PlayStation, like my kids have all this electronic stuff. And so I'm constantly working to be able to provide for them because I think, well, once they have that, then they'll be happy. Then we'll create fulfillment. And so we get into this trap of thinking that we have to do in order to have so that we can finally be, we can be joyful, happy, whatever it is. And we get into these traps. So we become doobies. But think about this in like third world countries, okay? So, so a few years ago, I was in Jamaica and uh, for any of you that have been in Jamaica or, or any country that there are parts of that are considered third world, okay? You look around and you see people that by our standards have very little. So I remember driving to this resort and when we crossed this uh, very bumpy road and it's like the ocean was on one side and a forest on the other and there's a road in the middle and you pass these little... I don't want to call them towns. They're just huts in the middle of nowhere. And they are collecting rainwater that they then uh, into a barrel. And that's what they use for drinking water. They don't have fancy filtration systems, but that's how they live. Or they have fruit carts on the side of the road and that's their income. So they create some kind of income stream for themselves where they, they wear clothes that we would consider rags, but they're fine to them. They're very happy. And you run into these people and you think, wow, like these are, these people are just totally at peace and in this space of joy. How is it that they have very little and they're, they're sitting on the side of the road. They're just, they have these beautiful like, skin. I thought they've been out in the sun and they really are enjoying life. They're playing with their kids. They wear those baskets above their heads and walk. And I think their necks have to hurt because they're carrying so much weight, but they're just used to that. That's their way of life. And yet they're not angry or mad about this. And that's, that's the flipping. That's the be, do, have. And they're saying, look, I'm going to be whatever I'm going to be. Joyful, uh, patience, grace, compassion, whatever it is that I want to be, my way of being. I'm going to start there. And then in order to continue to maintain that, yeah, whatever I do from that place, yeah, I'll do it. If I'm going to stand at the, the fruit stand or whatever that looks like, I'll do it so that I can have a roof over my head, but a roof over their head may look very different than the 3000 square foot house that I live in. Okay. So, so they're going to start with the being, then they go to the doing, and then they go to the having and their stuff that they have looks very different than what we create here in the United States or on the, the Western side of the world. And so here again, we're in this doobie society. I will do have, and then I'll be. Okay. And what happens when we, when we live under that philosophy is that we get in this trap and we spend all this time doing, and I have a friend, a a client actually, who told me the other day, I am addicted to doing his to-do lists are so long. 
And every day he prides himself on how much he's going to do. And he had this moment the other day of, oh my gosh, there's working, there's, there's working so that you can provide for your family. And then there's another level of addicted to my work. And so he found himself in that, that space. So when I say that joy is a state of being, I mean, joy is not about doing, and it's not about anything that we have. It's not about the patio. It's not about the pool. It's not about the boat. It's not about the house. It's not about the stuff that we have. It's about a state of being. And oftentimes people get joy and happiness mixed up, joy and happiness. And we think, oh, well, we're happy. Joy is this momentary thing. Joy is actually something we all have access to at any point. It's a state of being, which means we all could be joyful all the time, but sometimes we don't choose it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. It's a state of being. So like anything else, like anger, frustration, it's, it's something that we can always access, but happiness is fleeting. Happiness is momentary. Happiness is just a point in time. I'm happy. Now I'm not. And so the trick is, can you be happy and joyful at the same time? Sure. Because happiness is momentary. Joy is underlying. It's the difference between peace and tranquility. Okay, peace is that like you can have that inner peace and you can have that all the time. But tranquility is this deeper sense, this deeper sense of really being at peace. So I'm tranquil. I am at peace, peaceful. So there's a difference in our languaging. And so hear that in that joy is a state of being. It's not a state of doing. It's not something that you can buy at the store. It is a state of being. And now let's flip over and let's look at creativity because today's show is about the link between joy, that state of being and creativity. And so creativity, there are all kinds of definitions, but one of my favorite ones is talking about how creativity is that ability to access links to, to solve problems, or I even wrote down the definition of this because I was, I was so fascinated by it, but it's, it's the ability to come up with new ideas or come up with the link between new ideas. So to come up with new ideas or the link to new ideas. So definition of creativity, coming up with new ideas or coming up with the link to new ideas. And that's such a powerful space when you can truly be creative. Right. Now, I ran an advertising agency for 10 years. I have a double major in advertising and accounting. Advertising has been a large part of my life in that world of, of marketing. And one of the things when I ran my advertising agency, if you came into our office, you would have thought that it was a play space. We had a ping pong table. We had some different gaming systems. Uh, we had, it was, it was fun. We had couches. Now, I never played the gaming systems at work. I like ping pong a little bit, but it was always being played. So a lot of times when in the advertising agencies, what's so different about that than kind of the rest of the world is that there are people who's they're actually labeled as creatives. So in my job, I was the, on the business side. My job was to get the business in and to get it moving so that it, it created something so that we had an end product. But there were people in our in our agency whose job was just to, to create. They were paid to create. And what I know to be true is that we people, as human beings, we aren't diamonds. I, I appreciate diamonds. I, love, I like diamonds. I think they're beautiful. And yet diamonds are created under pressure. So an immense amount of pressure creates a diamond. And a lot, oftentimes in, uh, in, in the world of, of work or life even, but in the world of work, we think if we apply a lot of pressure, if we put the stress, if we tell somebody how it's gotta be and we force, 
we're going to create these wonderful ideas, a space of creativity. Remember, coming up with new ideas or coming up with the link between new ideas. We think if we apply a lot of pressure, the biggest idea is going to come out. And yet, what I know to be true is that increased pressure does not create ideas. There's not a link between increased pressure, demands, and force and creativity. But what there is a link between is when we create this space of of really just giving yourself space of of saying, I don't know what the answer is in this moment, but what I know is that when I stop trying to find the answer, the answer shows up. When I stop trying to find the answer, the answer shows up. For me, my best thinking happens in the shower. In the shower, it's when I'm not thinking about anything. And I said this the other day, and I'll say it again. There was this, this guy, I don't even know who the guy was, but there's this guy and he's talking about mindfulness. So this whole concept of mindfulness, meditation, maybe, maybe you've done it, maybe you haven't, it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant to this conversation. But the, the idea of mindfulness, and this guy says, the problem isn't that we are all, pra- we all should practice mindfulness. The problem is that our minds are so full. Our minds are so full. That's the problem. And so we spend all this time thinking and like, this is how we're going to solve it. Or how do I solve it? Or what's the problem? And we spend all this time really digging into forcing the answer. But that's not how creativity, that's not how the definition, the link between problems or the answer to problems, that's not how we find the answers. It's when we back off and we become attached, unattached to the outcome. When we say, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to give the space for it to come up. I'm going to spend my time in some other place for a moment. I'm going to play ping pong. I'm going to hop on a game system. I'm going to lay on the couch. I'm just going to go for a walk. When we give ourselves that space, that's when the magic occurs. When I turn on some music and I dance, when I, when I just stop for a second, and it's that, it's that moment of surrender. We've talked a lot about surrender on the show, but when you have that moment of surrender, I don't know what the answer is. And we just give ourselves that space. It doesn't have to be a long time. It could be 10 seconds. It could be 30 seconds. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 30 minutes. It could be three days, but the answer will appear when we don't, when we're least expecting it. And so how many times has that happened for you? When like, ah, I want to figure this out. I want to figure this out. And then finally you stop attempting to figure it out. And then you figure it out. That is so common and it's because we give ourselves this space and so we get to actually create. So that's the space of creativity. So we are gonna go on a quick break. We've covered what is joy and what is creativity. And in this next segment, we're actually gonna put those together and and really show the link between joy and creativity. So you guys are listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. You're gonna go on this quick break. We're here on Inspired Choices Network. We have the chat room and you can also, if you have any questions, you can put them in there and we'll talk about that as well. So enjoy this quick break and I'll be back with you here in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world 
knowing your voice matters, and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we are talking all about the link between joy and creativity. In the last 15 minutes, we went through the definition of joy, it be a state of being, and creativity, what really is creativity, and the link between ideas, the ability to think of new ideas, and the link between ideas. So that's a powerful space that we want to create. And there's a study that was done by Harvard Business Review, and it pointed out, I'm even going to read this to get it right here, excessive stress impairs strategic thinking. It's like a no-duh, of course, excessive stress impairs strategic thinking. And it leads to increased aggression and reduced ability to engage in positive leadership behaviors. Okay, so excessive stress impairs strategic thinking. It leads to increased aggression and it's reduced ability to engage in positive leadership behaviors. Okay, so, so we get this. Like this is a, it's totally a no-duh moment when we hear this, that of course, excessive stress is not good for us. That is the opposite of joy. Okay, and then there was a study from New Zealand and it stated that engaging in creative activities contributes to an upward spiral of positive emotions, psychological well-being, and feelings of flourishing in life, which means that the space of creativity is where we actually get to, get to feel better, okay, get to feel better. So the creativity space, and what I know in the advertising world, what I was sharing before this break was about how when we give ourselves that space to just take a moment or a few moments to breathe, to not know the answer, to be okay with whatever's going to come up, that's when we have these huge aha moments. And so there's four levels of awareness and I'm, I'm gonna bring this in. Uh, I, I create show notes and here's what's so fascinating. My aunt, hi Maxine, hi Aunt Maxine, hi Uncle Marvin. They're listening to the show today. And they asked me this question before I went live and he said, how do you prep for the show? And I said, well, I have some show notes and I'll, I'll go through those. So we have the, the segments and I'll make sure I know kind of where I'm going each segment. But one of the things that's coming up for me right now is to share with you the four levels of awareness. And this is not something that I would have thought that I would have gone into. And yet a big part of the show is trusting what's coming up and knowing that I can't script out this entire show or I wouldn't be just showing up honestly, authentically and, and saying, Hey, this is what we're talking about today. So it's trusting myself in that. I don't know exactly where we're going to go, but I know it's going to be incredible. And so that's a piece of practice of mastery. So this show, this is a space where I play and I get to be creative and the value of having places where we get to play. That is really important. We're actually going to talk about that here in a little bit, but right now we're going to talk about the stages of awareness. And so there's four stages of awareness. And when we ask ourselves a question that we don't know, when we're trying to solve a problem that we don't know the answer to in this moment, the, there's the four different levels of awareness. And the, the fourth, which is the lowest level of awareness is, I don't know what I don't know. So when we say, I don't know the answer to the question, it's actually a very disempowering state, space. 
And so there's one word that we get to add to the end of that when you say, I don't know the answer to that question. Just one little word that we put in that becomes, that it's actually empowering space. So it's, I don't know the answer yet. Yet. The difference in that word is just, just three letters, but that word yet actually implies that I do know it. I just, I can't see it yet. And so that is a difference. Even when I hear people say questions, I don't know, I, I get to interrupt and say, I don't know yet because they do on, I think it's page four or five, very entry of my book. I say, you have all the answers. And a lot of times people will come to me to get the answers. I have a client who one of his, he's a uh, second in command at a, a very big company. And his biggest challenge is that people are always coming to him to look for the answer. He's become a consultant. He wanna be a consultant, but he comes, he's become a consultant where people look to him for the answer. And as, as frustrating as that is, there's a, there's a big ego piece there of, oh, I know the answer and I'm gonna give it to them. A consultant is someone who somebody goes to for the answer. The flip side of that is a coach where it's saying, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm gonna hold you to the, the knowing that you actually have the answer. And when I ask you the questions that will bring that answer out, at the end of this, you'll know your own answer. And, and we all know these answers. There just might be facts we get to gather so that we can come to a conclusion on our own. But there's a difference when I'm going to somebody else and saying, give me the answer versus I know the answer and I get to come up with the facts. They're gonna support the actual answer. And so what, what this guy, what my client is learning is how to actually shift from being a consultant to being a coach. He's learning how to shift from being a consultant to being a coach. And when, as he's learning this process, it's actually removing work from his plate. He's way less doing because before he used to think when somebody handed him what appeared to be a fire saying, put it out, put it out. He'd get his fire extinguisher out and spend all his energy putting out the fire. And now he realizes he doesn't have to do that. Somebody brings him a fire. He realizes one out of every seven times, is it actually a fire that he gets to get his extinguisher out? The other six times, he's just coaching someone else on how to put out their own fire. Once you realize how to put out your own fire, you don't actually have to go see him very often. So the amount of people that have come into his desk, to his door, through his door has, has significantly lessened, which means he can focus on the things that are more important to him, like the work that's in front of him or just getting stuff done or giving himself the space to maybe just be creative. Okay. So the level of awareness, that fourth level is, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And that's the space of asking ourselves, what do I not know yet? So what's the question I'm wanting to answer? And then the third level is, I know what I don't know. So we're moving forward to this level of awareness. First, I don't know what I don't know to, I know what I know. Right. I, wow. I went right from four to one, <laughs> four. I don't know what I don't know. Three, I know what I don't know, which means I know the facts that I don't know. I know where to go to get the information now because I know what I get to know in order to have the answer to the question. Then the second level is I don't know what I know, which means I've gathered a lot of facts. I've gathered a lot of data, but I just don't know what it means yet. And then we go to level one, which, hey, I already had a surprise reveal. I know what I know. <laughs> Okay, I know what I know. And so when you travel all the way through that level of awareness, it goes from I don't know what I don't know to I know what I know. That's the four levels of awareness. And here's the deal. That can be a very agonizing process. You can be frustrated that you have to go through that process. And I'll tell you what, the higher you climb in an organization or the, the more executive skills that you acquire, 
this is the process you're going to go through all the time, all the time. And you'll go through it so fast that you don't even realize that it's happening because this can happen in a matter of seconds or it can happen over hours or days or years, years, depending on the complexity of the project that you're working on or the question that you want to answer. But most of the time, like for me now, I can, I work through this process usually in a few days uh, because of the projects that I'm working on. They, they, they're a little bit longer where I actually get to accumulate information. But my goal is that if I can walk through it quickly, like with my kids, they'll ask me things and I'll say, oh, I don't, I don't know yet. But usually, usually the qu- kinds of questions they'll ask me are things, really random things like, how long can an eagle fly before it has to land on the grass for a break? I have no idea yet, <laughs> but there's, you know, we can easily hop on Google and they don't even type things in Google anymore. You guys, they just, they just voice it. They use the audio piece and they'll say, how long can an eagle fly before it has to land? And Google will Siri on, on Google, it'll be Siri. Siri will say, oh, here's the answer. They don't even get their phones out, especially we have these little, uh, you guys know the names, but uh, these things that sit at the echoes and uh, different tools in our house where they just say it from the dinner table. Hey, Siri, how long can an eagle fly before it has to land? And so they get this information and they have it in a a matter of instant. So they say, oh, I don't know what I don't know. Hmm, what do I need to know? Okay, I'm going to get it. Now I know what I know. So very quickly, they're moving through this quickly, but bigger problems like how uh, should I enter into this contract? that may be a longer period or how do I build this structure or what do I do with this patient? There's all kinds of different questions that we have where we're going to move through this cycle, but we're constantly moving through this cycle of awareness and how we look at the cycle of awareness and this creativity. Remember the definition of creativity coming up with new ideas or links between ideas. That is the definition of that process. So we can either embrace it and enjoy it, or we can be frustrated. And if we're frustrated about the process of not knowing things, guess what? We are frustrated about this process that really is our life. We're just cycling through it. So there's the people that get mad because they don't have the answer. And there's the people that get excited because they get to find the answer. The people that love being in inquiry and curiosity. And that's the difference between the people that are excited about uncertainty and the people that aren't. So we just boil down uncertainty into a very simple concept of when I don't understand what's coming next, when I don't understand it, am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I mad? Am I uncomfortable? And and don't don't just make discomfort. Like discomfort's not a bad thing. Growth only happens in discomfort. Never in the history of this world has growth ever happened in our comfort zone. We get to be uncomfortable in order to grow. And so this concept of really embracing what we don't know yet and moving into what we know, that is powerful. And so when we can really embrace being curious and knowing that we're never going to have every answer to everything, it's just not going to happen or else we are playing a really small game, playing a really small game because we all, we know everything that's around us. And kids, it's fascinating to watch kids in this process. Because when kids are younger, they, they believe that they have all the answers. There's a point that they hit. And usually I, my kids are 8, 10, and 12. So it's, it's about like, kind of right in that 10, 12, that, that preteen stage, and then into the early teens, where in their minds, they believe that they have the answers. So there's, a, there's definitely a, a supportive piece to this. 
But there's also something that we get to be really careful of because the ego starts to develop and protect us during that time. So they tell themselves, well, I have all of the answers, but it's they're developing ego. So this is all rooted in emotional intelligence. And I, and I love this space of emotional intelligence because one, it's something that I'm super curious about. I, I, I know so little in the scheme of emotional intelligence. And yet what I know to be true is that my level of knowledge in emotional intelligence is greater than most people because I study it. This is my area. This is what I study. And so what I know to be true is that as the ego develops, we counter our, we protect ourselves by saying we have the answers when we really don't necessarily have them. We don't necessarily have them. And, and so we get to look at this whole spectrum. Where are we at on this four levels of awareness? And so joy comes in how we look at the unknown. How can you be joyful in a moment that is what we would perceive as, as totally horrible? Or how do you be joyful in a moment that we perceive as very uncomfortable? Okay, so when I don't know what's going to happen or when I don't like what's going around for me, can I still be joyful? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. You can still be joyful regardless of what's happening around you because what's happening around you is all uncertainty. It's about seeing the beauty in the moment. Okay, so so what are the 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 things that's coming up for me in this moment to share with you. And I know I've talked a lot about my mom and it was her birthday on Thursday. And so my family was in town and we had a wonderful weekend, just, just being together and, and celebrating her and uh, just enjoying, just enjoying life and being present in, in the moment. And so we went out to the cemetery yesterday and, and you got to see her, her tombstone. And so first, first time that's a, it's a space of, okay, she's, it's a loss. She's not with us. She's not present in the moment with us uh, in her physical body. And so is it, is it okay to be in joy in those moments? So one, are we giving ourselves permission to be in joy, even in these moments that seem painful? So what? Yes. Can we give ourselves permission? So that's the first piece you get to ask yourself. And then the second piece is like, how is that possible? How can you be in two places at once? And it's because joy, remember, is a state of being. It's something that you can have access to all the time. So you can still enjoy the moment and be in a space of pain and really feel the emotion at the same time. And that is when you can have both of those moments at the same time, that's a high level of emotional intelligence. It means, wow, I really enjoy the moment in the space that we're in. And I'm feeling these emotions of, of pain or, or sorrow or loss. And you can hold those at the same time. And so that very much happens in life. And we think about all these people that are coming back into work. We've talked about return to work on, on this show before. And a lot of people are coming back into the office and they're carrying physically extra weight with them. They're carrying the emotions of everything that we've walked through. There'll be more PTSD. There is more PTSD now than we've ever seen. So you see a lot of people that come back from war, they have PTSD, but the experiences that we've been through in the last year are equivalent to PTSD. And so a lot of the therapists are seeing that as a big challenge in this moment. And how do we treat these? So this is what the office environment looks like. So we have people that never left the office environment. We have people that left it and aren't ever coming back. We have people, and this is like, they're just working from home. We also have the people that have left the workforce. And then we've got the people that are, are coming back into the workforce. So we've got all these different scenario, scenarios going on. But one of the statistics is that 41% of the workforce right now, if you said you got to come back to a world where it was before, if we've got to move backwards and come back in and we're going to set these very strict standards, 41% of the workforce would leave right now. They would go find another job. 
I was working with a client the other day and they said, huh, I thought it was, they looked at their office environment, their employees, and they, they anticipated that a third of them wanted to leave, not because they didn't like their jobs or like the company, but they just, they'd been home and they were in this kind of interesting space of a third of them they thought could drop off. And so what would happen if a third of their business left, a third of their employees left? That's a, that's a big challenge. And so what they're really digging into is the environment that they're creating. Are they really meeting their employees where they at? Are they really creating that space of joy? And so this is something that when we look at creativity and what we get to open up, the space of creativity, it's what people are really wanting. They're wanting that, they're wanting uh, to feel the space. Like they want to create joy in everyday moments, both at work and at home. Okay, so we're going to dig into this a little more, but we're going to go on a quick break. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Enjoy this quick break, and we'll be back in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking about the link between joy and creativity. And so one of the things that I want to talk about here in this next segment is about the value of hobbies, the value of hobbies. So a hobby, something that we do that's really a creative space. For me, it's about usually my hands, something that I can do with my hands, whether it's painting or some kind of like crocheting or something that I can use my hands because when my hands are busy, my mind is free. So when I'm attempting to solve some other problem that's not about something about work or kids, when I use my mind in another way, when I use my hands in another way, I, that's a freedom space for me. And so it's really important for me to have that in my life. And oftentimes what you would notice if, if you were watching me, when I get stressed, I tend not to do those things. It's, so if, uh, my husband would say, so uh, what have you been doing that's really just opening up creativity for you? Or like, what, what project are you working on? And I'd say, oh, I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> There'd be a large chunk of time where I'm not in the creative space. I haven't actually created something because my best ideas come when my mind is free. And I'm not unique in that way. Like this is, this is a science that there's the Harvard just did a bunch of reviews on it. Uh, there are a lot of CEO studies when you look at the S&P 500 companies. And we actually, when we, we drill these down and we say, what are some of the top CEOs doing that, and I'm using that word doing, remember B do have, what are they doing uh, to create spaces of freedom for themselves? And some of these, I looked at what the link is between some of the CEOs and their performance. So what I saw was the CEOs who are pilots lead, tend to lead more innovative companies. And the CEOs who run marathons tend to show higher performance. So marathon being more of a performance-based uh, skill. So they run more performance. So they have higher performance in their companies. But a, a CEO who's a pilot, a pilot is really about innovative. You've got a lot of things you got to work on and you got to really solve a problem because you're going to get from point A to point B and you're in your plane because okay? so you are the one that's in charge of it. So, so pilots, so CEOs that are pilots tend to run more innovative companies. And this was just an interesting fact that I found. I don't have, I don't have a lot of the basis and I'm going to dig into it because I'm curious about it. 
And it said that excessive CEO golfing, okay? So when we looked at the hobbies, it said excessive CEO golfing can actually lead to lower shareholder values. So think about that. Excessive CEO golfing can lead to lower shareholder values. So oftentimes when you think about what's the hobby that a lot of executives tend to have, it'd be golfing and that one, uh, excessive golfing. Now, I don't know what excessive golfing means and what the link is there. So again, I'm going to look into this because I'm super curious, Uh, but there is a link there where it flips. So we're finding the balance and you're the only one that can really strike that balance. So that might be, gosh, she's out golfing every afternoon all the time, or she's out golfing or whatever that looks like, but excessive golfing. And I bet that could be for any sort of hobby, but golfing was just used as the example. Now there are, for hobbies, we tend to think of hobbies as some kind of extreme, like the ones we use where it was pilots or running marathons, but there was actually a CEO who collected stickers. So the CEO collected stickers as a hobby. And because that was a challenge for him, uh, this was a guy, because it was a challenge for him, that created a space where he got to go look for the stickers that he wanted. Now, when I heard this, I'm thinking like Lisa Frank stickers. You guys remember those? The sparkly unicorns and glittery. I have no idea what kind of stickers these are, but I've seen the same thing with stamps, with postcards, where there's actually a thrill of finding these stickers. And so the thing about a hobby is it's something that you can master. And what we find in a lot of the executives, a lot of the the, the people that I work with, they are at the top of their game in their work area where they might be, especially in the company, they're number one, they're number two, they're number three, they're, they're up there. And so when they go into a hobby, either it's not ranked because how do you be the number one sticker collector in the world? I don't know. Maybe there's a sticker competition or some kind of conference. Maybe, I don't know. This will be interesting. So somebody let me know if that's a thing, (laughs) but let's just say, let's say you play lacrosse. And so if I'm, if I'm the number one at my company and I play lacrosse, I might be the number 150 in lacrosse. I may not be a great lacrosse player. I enjoy bowling. I'm not a bowling league, but it's something I've talked about. My, my oldest son wants to join a bowling league. And we've talked about that. I'm I'm a decent bowler. I'm pretty good at the, the, skee-ball. I really like (laughs) skee-ball, but I'm not going to be the best bowler. So it would give me something to strive for. So think about the hobbies that you have. And a lot of times as we are busy and we've got a lot of stuff going on with work and families that we don't think we have a lot of time to create space for these hobbies. And yet that's one of the most important things is to create it. So when these CEOs were asked, how do you actually create the space for your hobby for joy, the things that bring you joy? Because really the only reason we're talking about hobbies are that hobbies get to bring us joy. We we do these hobbies and that doesn't mean that there's no frustration in there because you can have frustration and joy at the same time, but it's a space where we're just, we're truly enjoying ourselves. My sister gave me a coloring book this weekend and I said, I love this space of creativity. And so I I can just sit and color. I could watch a TV show and color. I could sit out back and color, enjoy the nature and color or uh, something that just gets me out of my normal routine. Because if my normal routine is to get up, go to work, care for my children, uh, eat meals and work out maybe, or come home, that's my entire routine that's not relaxing because I haven't created an intentional space that's different from day to day. And so I hear a lot of people say, because a lot of the clients that I work with in the one-on-one coaching, they'll say, 
yeah, but I'll create every day looks a little bit different because I have different projects. Yes. Okay. I get it. I get it. And I get how hard it is to create a hobby or space for yourself. And yet it's one of the most important things you can do. And intentionally putting time on your calendar. Because the thing about a hobby, the thing about a space of creativity for you is that you're putting a less of an emphasis on outcome. We are unattached to the outcome. When I'm coloring a picture, I'm not going to sell it to an art museum. I don't care what it looks like. I built this farm (laughs) when I was on vacation. It sounds, let me, it's a barn, actually. It's a barn. I, I was working on this project. It was this crochet. I haven't crocheted in a long time. I decided I was going to pick it up again. And I'm working on this barn. <laughs> I just, I'll have to post a picture of this. <laughs> it is, it looks like an egg, you guys. The sides of it are protruding. It, it, it looks, it does not look like a barn. <laughs> and I say this with a smile on my face because I spent a lot of time. I, Probably, I probably put 25 hours into this egg and I used all kinds of yarn. I probably went to the craft store three times. We were driving to Florida. I told you guys a few weeks ago, we drove to Florida for vacation. I had my husband stop because I realized I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare all the yarn when we left. So he's driving and I'm sitting here figuring this out. And I don't know how to do most of the, the stitches. So I figured those out. And it was a place where I just didn't know the answer yet, yet. And so I was practicing those same skills. Remember those four levels of awareness that we're talking about? I could get really mad about the process, but ultimately I want to figure it out. And so I'm constantly putting myself into situations where I don't have the answer and I get to practice how to get into the answer. And because I've learned to enjoy this process, I practice appreciating when I don't know the answer and being okay in uncomfortable spaces. Because you guys, we all want to know the answer. Like we all want to have the answer. We all want to be the one that's that got the the flag, like that, that knows what the answer is. But in the reality, most of the time we don't. And so the more that we can put ourselves in situations where we don't have the answer, the more we can practice. And all beneath all of this, there's a leadership distinction that it gets a call forward. And the leadership distinction is how we show up anywhere is how we show up everywhere. How we show up anywhere is how we show up everywhere. Such a valuable distinction. And what that means is that if if I get frustrated about not knowing the answer about my hobby, then I'm I'm getting frustrated at work not knowing the answer because I'm the kind of person that gets frustrated when I don't know the answer. And it's not conditional to whether I'm at work or whether I'm in my hobby. So it does not matter where it's showing up But I know when it shows up somewhere, it's going to show up everywhere. I know when it shows up somewhere, it's going to show up everywhere. So I'm the assistant coach for my youngest son's baseball team. And when somebody does something that we've told them over and over and over not to, if I'm the one that erupts and is like, oh, are you kidding me? Why didn't you listen? And I get really mad. I'm also the mom that's yelling at her kid at home when I get frustrated because my kid does something that I don't want him to do. I'm also the one at work when an employee does something that I want him to do. I'm the one that's erupting. There is a pattern. It's not just happening in one place. It's happening everywhere. So when I coach my executives, when, when I'm coaching them, one of the things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we create. I don't even have to talk about work. I just get to identify 
where there are challenges because wherever they show up in one area, they're going to show up in every other area. So it doesn't even matter. And I'll tell you, I have met with thousands of CEOs, with executives, of people, of humans. And over the years, through my lens, I'm a former CPA. I ran an advertising agency for 10 years, and I've studied the space of emotional intelligence and worked with executives for a long time. And I'll tell you, I have learned so much about how you actually create, one, a fulfilled life, but two, a successful business on top of that. Okay. So, so both of those things. And I'll tell you, when I coach and consult with my clients now, I don't talk about the profit and loss statement, the PL or the balance sheet. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. And so here's the important thing. What I want you to hear about this is that how you're showing up, the level of joy that you have that, that we can see. So when I see somebody, the level of joy that they're exuding, it shows me what's happening in their business, in their family, in their life. I don't need to see the PL. And it's not because I have some sorcerer, I'm not a sorcerer, I don't have magic glasses, but I'm telling you that the level of joy that you have in your life, the level of joy that you show up as, the level of joy that you carry is directly related to your level of fulfillment. Those things are one in one, they are linked. And that is a power that we all get to know that's available to us. So if we know this, why do we not choose joy? Why do we not create spaces of creativity? Why do we not choose hobbies and spaces where we can elaborate, where we can, where we can have time in our life to just enjoy? And a lot of us, it's because we're busy and we hide behind busy. That word, that word is like nails on a chalkboard. Busy is not, is, it never leads to productivity. Busy is like banging our heads against the wall. And so one of the shifts that we can make, again, remember the language of adding the question of yet to, to questions that we don't have the answer to yet. This one, the other language I'm going to give to you is to shift the word busy to full. I have a full schedule. Very different than saying I have a busy schedule. Busy is like uncontrolled. Okay, full means I've intentionally created a full schedule. And it's okay to create spaces in your day. So I'm gonna give you that permission right now. You don't need my permission, but it's okay to create spaces of your day of enjoyment. And that's something that I've had to learn because I enjoy, I enjoy having a full schedule. And I've also learned that if I wanna be the most productive, I also get to create spaces where they're just for fun, where they're just for fun. Where to somebody else, it may look like I'm being, I'm gonna intentionally use this word, lazy. <laughs> That is one thing I've never wanted to be accused of. And yet, what is lazy? Your definition and my definition of lazy may be totally different. And it's okay. It's okay. So we are going to go on a quick break here. And then we're going to wrap all of this up. We've covered a lot of different subjects today. But we're going to go on this quick break. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. And we have been talking all about the link between joy and creativity. So enjoy this quick break. And when we get back, we will wrap up the show. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson. And for the past 45 minutes, we've been talking all about joy and creativity. We've talked about the values of hobbies and why that's important. We even went into the, the be, do, have, and how here in the United States, we are doobies. We are doobies. We have eliminated starting with the B, but yet in, in third world countries where they have seemingly nothing, they have such joy. And so why is that? Because they start with B. They start with the B. They start with the, the joy. They want to have joy in their life. And so they're going to do the things that relate to that. And I have a lot of, uh, when I get into these conversations, a lot of people say, but I have to work. I, yeah, sure. Like we, I, I totally get that. And, uh, and it's all about choice too in there. So, so we're going to, let's dig into this for here for about a minute is that we are accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So for me, I'm accustomed to a lifestyle for you. You're accustomed to a lifestyle and that lifestyle in order to maintain that lifestyle requires a certain level of income or a certain level of commitment from you in order to receive that income to support that lifestyle. And so, yes, absolutely. We get to work. So it's not a have to, it's a get to. We get to work in order to support that lifestyle. If that lifestyle is not actually bringing us joy, then the question we get to look at is rewriting why that, if that lifestyle isn't something that we enjoy, why are we in this cycle of, I have to work, I have to, right? So it's not a get to in our minds. I have to work to reach this lifestyle that I don't really care about. Okay, so now it becomes, well, why? Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, getting the same results. So now we say, remember the four levels of awareness, we go back to level four and we say, what do I not know yet? What is it that I really want? And we start to rewrite the script. So we eliminate what we know to be true. So I know that I'm in this job and I work this much and it produces this much income because I want to create this, this uh, level of, of comfort in my life. But wow, I don't really like the house that I live in or the neighborhood that I live in or the friends that I have, I'm just pretty miserable. If that's the case, then let's start from scratch and rewrite it and rewrite it and then see what's possible. But know that that's a really uncomfortable space. Most people say, hey, look, I'm going to just be okay with where I'm at. I'm going to find fulfillment or joy. And my, my advice to you is like, it's not something you have to find. It's something that you are. So it's really, it's really understanding what it is that you want. But in order to create this book that I wrote, Joy and Uncertainty, a guide to creating a meaningful life, the crux of it is that you can create whatever you want. It's, if it's not what you have in this moment, then it's, there are going to be some really uncomfortable conversations you get to have either with yourself or with a guide or a coach or somebody that's going to hold you to say, well, if what you really want is this, but this is how you're living. Those two aren't in alignment and you get to make some really uncomfortable decisions in order to have what you want. So what I see a lot of people doing is, well, I don't, I don't really want this job anymore, but I still want the income. Yeah. I mean, still pay me whatever, 60, 70, 80, 90, however much I'm making, still pay me that, but I don't actually want to show up for work. So I'll just kind of dink around at work and hope that they still pay me. And that doesn't work. That just, that's, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So we get to choose what we want and be really intentional. Okay? To create that joy, it's about being intentional. And if you don't know what you want, it's okay. Because you just get to say, I don't know what I want yet. And walk through that four levels of awareness. It's okay. And if you're getting stuck, add creativity. 
pick up something that's exciting. Play croquet, grab a ball, learn basketball, go to the park, play on the monkey bars, collect stamps, learn to be a pilot. That's a little bit more expensive of a hobby, but totally uh, you could do it. So find a hobby, fly a kite. That's so fun. It's beautiful outside. Fly a kite. Kites are cheap, but there are so many different skills that you could pick up that are truly hobbies and that we can, we can look at ourselves and say, it's okay if we're not number one. We're going to learn. We're going to master this hobby. And so that creates just a total free space. So now excessive stress, it's not linked to flying a kite. If our kite gets into the trees, we don't care. We spent $2 on it. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Or stamp collecting. If I can't find that stamp, it's okay. It's not causing me excessive stress because I am unattached to the outcome. So if excessive stress impairs strategic thinking and leads to increased aggression and reduced ability to engage in positive leadership behaviors, I'm not going to choose a hobby that's causing that. I'm going to choose the hobby that according to the New Zealand study, it says that engaging in creative activities contributes to an upward spiral of positive emotions, psychological well-being, and feelings of flourishing in life. I'm going to choose a hobby that does that for me. Perhaps it's bowling. Perhaps it's sticker collecting. Perhaps it's stamp collecting. Perhaps it's coin collecting. Perhaps it's riding a bike. It doesn't matter what it is, but I'm going to create that space where I'm going to just enjoy the moment and the time that I have. And when I'm in that, guess what? The answer to that question I've been asking myself will appear because I created that space for it. And then I can move from a level four of awareness to a level three, to a level two, from a level one. And all of a sudden I'm in the, I'm going from, I don't know what I don't know to I know what I know. And when you learn to love that process, when you love the space of curiosity, when you're not angry because you don't know things, but you have that moment of saying, yes, I don't know what the answer is. Yet, when we get there, that is powerful. That is when we really create this link between joy and creativity and it's freedom because we know that even when we tell ourselves we don't know the answer, we understand the process to finding the answer. That is empowering, my friends. That is the goal. So guys, we have covered so much territory on our first week of this six-week series on really digging into joy really digging into joy. And next week, we're going to dig into joy and productivity, joy and results, how we actually create it. There's three shocking truths about joy. We're going to dig in even deeper. So make sure you tune in next week. Then over these, this whole series, it's the entire month of May through June 7th, we're covering all things joy. Guys, thank you so much for joining the show. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.